Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast and today we have Steve Ricks. He's back joining us and a lot has happened with Steve since he was first on our podcast, which I think was probably about just over 12 months ago. Now, Steve is the Chief Experience Officer at Play Lab, and he has a book called Play Saves the Day. So we're going to be focusing on why play is important in leadership. So first off, a very big welcome back to you, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me back, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure. I very much enjoyed being with you last time and, um, and the communication we've had since then. You're both delightful and appreciate the opportunity to um, have this platform to explore play because uh, we think about leadership. Uh, oftentimes people equate leadership with that's a work skill. And I like to tell people that um, leadership first and foremost is a play skill. And, um, and oftentimes that means redefining the narrative of what work is versus play, but I'm glad to be with you and have this opportunity to share some of that stuff today. It'll be great. Well, thank you very much, and welcome from Hawaii, which is uh, where you are. Yes. Yes. Much aloha to your listening audience. <laughs> thank you. Nice to have you back on the podcast again, Steve. Thanks very much for, for joining us again today. Um, you know, we, we, we had a really good conversation last time. As you said, we've been keeping in touch since, since our previous conversation. But just for the, for the benefit of our listeners, maybe you could kind of give um, you know, a quick overview of what, what's been going on in your world, what have you been working on since, uh, since our previous conversation? Wonderful. When we last um, uh, were together, I found myself um, in the mainland of the U.S. Um, I had gone there to do a little uh, work in expanding and growing my business, uh, which was supposed to be a 21-day trip. It turned into 21 months away from my home. And um, during that time, uh, there was a lot of um, things going on, namely a global pandemic, which seems to still persist to some degree. However, um, during those times, we were kind of really reimagining who we were as a company and how we wanted to help support people. And so I tell people, um, 21 days turned into 21 months. I became a Priceline Platinum status member. I had no idea that uh, staying in 67 hotels over <laughs> 21 months gets you that, but now I know. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, um, really what we began to shift our energy towards, um, Callum, to your question was, mental health awareness in leadership and how that trickles down into the atmosphere or culture of a business because um, there's been an enormous stress factor put on global business at any level. And at the end of the day, human capital is the most important capital there is. And that perhaps was taxed at least in my lifetime, like it really never has been before. So over the last um, 12 months, we have really kind of redefined who we are. And our whole mantra is getting out of the business of selling products and delivering services and getting into the narrative of 
We want to support you in experiments that lead to experiences and give you feedback. And when leadership gets feedback from their employees, um, that's a great thing because that shows a culture of openness. And that's not what we've been experiencing uh, much lately. And uh, I think the biggest thing that pushed, pushed us is towards the beginning of this year, Mental Health America came out with a study. I think it was 1 million individual blind survey respondents from Fortune 1000 companies. And 95% of them said there is uh, really no support in the workplace for mental health awareness. 95%, that's a huge number. So uh, we've been spending a lot of time addressing that and really uh, looking to come to the market with some useful solutions. Well, I think in um, those stat, that stat is staggering, and I'm not sure how it compares to the UK, but I also noticed that you said 56% of employees spend time looking for a new position, and three out of five employees are not receiving adequate support from supervisors to help manage stress. So some very significant figures there. So I'd love to hear what it is that you're doing to help improve those statistics and the role that you think leadership needs to play in doing that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I think it's probably safe to say uh, prior to answering that, that if that's the energy that the employee has, right, you can only imagine the added level of stress yeah. that any conscious leader would have, right? Yeah. Now, if a leader's just kind of unconscious and, you know, the company's making lots of money and, and they just don't care about their employees, right? Like that's a different animal, but let's talk about the conscious leader. Um, you know, they say we carry stress in our upper shoulders and our neck and our, our upper back, that area. Well, the weight of that kind of statistic um, can bear heavy. So what we've been doing specifically at Play Lab, um, and it, we start it with any of our clients now, we ask them to read the book that you alluded to, Play Saves the Day. And we really focus on redefining what play is so we can reimagine what work is. And if I were to play just a simple game with any audience, they get it right away. I say, if I say up, you say, and they go down, right? If I say left, then you, you know, right. And if I say play, you say, and generally speaking, the audience would almost always default to work, right? So one of the things that we do uh, before engaging with any leadership group is we have a conversation about that narrative because the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is resistance. And in the book, we talk about five key points that really define what pure play is because for a long time, play has been the narrative of childlike behavior that leads me through adolescence and into adulthood and as one old proverb says, and when I became an adult, I left childish things behind. And so the narrative is that play is a kid's game, right? The second narrative that play gets ascribed quite a bit is it's the reward I get on the weekend. And the third narrative is that it's the lifestyle of the ultra elite. Any and all of those narratives are not an adequate or justifiable definition of what pure play is. Pure play is part of who we are. It's we came loaded with it. Like batteries were included on that at birth. No one ever had to teach. Uh, Rebecca, I dare say you never went to a class or read a book on how to teach Callum how to play when he was little. 
play is that natural state of being that is kind of pushed to the side as we grow up. But in this conversation with leaders, we invite them to experiment with states of play. And when that happens, all of a sudden they begin to equate some really interesting discoveries and observations. And, and I'll just suggest a few. One is there's enormous intensity in the workplace today because of the demand of the process, the product, the profit. Play relaxes intensity. There's an enormous need for pivoting and adapting in today's workplace. Play accesses imagination to help support that. There's enormous conflict in the workplace place today. Play is a platform that's inclusive and it, it breaks down barriers, it removes conflict resolution. Now, I've, I know I've said a lot there, but it all goes to painting a picture that play not simply as a modality, but a mentality can shift how leaders re-engage a disengaged workforce because um, play is very inclusive, it's inviting, and when as a mentality or an underlying culture it's in play, um, it makes a huge difference. So I would end that question you asked by simply saying this, we're not advocating that businesses take a 40-hour work week and give their, their um, employees like a recess every day. Like that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about infusing the way we work that leans into or leverages our playful nature. So, um, and, and there's a million rabbit holes we can go down with that, but that'd be a general answer for that. That's really interesting, Stephen. I think it's, yeah, it's an interesting perspective to have. Could you maybe give us an example of how a company could like implement aspects of play in, into their business or their sort of daily roles of their team? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, uh, one of my favorite examples, I had the luxury of, of uh, coaching a, a woman who was a chief human resource officer at a very large global brand for a while. And in human resources, uh, HR, oftentimes it's the, um, it's like the landing place of all the negative energy, right? Like we got a problem with this. We got a problem with that. Well, <clears throat> this brand she was working for had a 75,000 employees. And, um, so she was just dealing with um, all that negative energy. Anytime someone was walking to her door, we got to handle this, we got to handle that. So one of the ways in which we can play is actually creating an imaginary friend or an avatar effort that we would use through puppeting. Um, and so if you can imagine some of these puppets that little kids make out of um, trash bags or socks, and then if, if you, any of the listeners, I, I, I just check it out, Google, you know, upscale puppets, and you'll see all these really ornate, beautiful puppets. So this lady, after having done the puppet exercise with us, um, went out and bought 20 of the coolest looking puppets you've ever seen. And she became known as the puppet master at her company. So anyone coming in the door with a problem had to take on a puppet had to take five minutes, give the puppet a name, a voice, an energy that was different from your personality, but represented your highest and best self. Now, several things happen when that kind of energy takes place. One is the leader gives the person with a problem a chance to compose themselves. Because when we're in problem um, solving mode, 
often we're in urgency mode. I mean, I woke up this morning. It's uh, it's like 7.20 in the morning here. I woke up this morning at 5.30 to um, an email. It was directed at me, but it was sent to four different people for something um, which I, I was, it was really quite surprising. And I could have let that energy escalate it, right? Because I got a lot of negative energy coming at me in that written form. Um, and in the workplace, it's so fast, people just throw it out and they're like fiery darts and they can create a real mess. So she'd say, okay, I know you're here with a problem, pick your puppet. And within two, three months, the energy and the culture and the shift from drawing attention to the mess versus proposing the solution was massively dynamic because when you pause and then you're asked to deliver your highest self through this act of playing by puppeteering, massive things happen. And, and the underlying piece in that, Callum, is that the human has what we call calcified ideology. So if I'm used to doing the same thing over and over again, then you can be pretty sure unless someone thwarts that immediate response factor, that's where I'm going. So what play does is it creates mental pliability. It gives the brain a little space to say, okay, this is a, a common response, but what else? Does that help you get, get see how that would be a tool in leadership? Yeah, it does. It does. That, that makes complete sense. It's like a different perspective to take on the situation, right? It's like a That's right. changing your mindset and, and taking a different approach to it. Yeah. It's like a pattern disrupt. That's exactly what it is. Because so many of us are so conditioned um, from decades, really, to think that um, work's not going to be fun. Um, and boy, I, I like even saying that it just puts a pit in my stomach because I have so much fun with what I do. Um, it's not really work. And if you go back to my original statement, leader, leadership takes effort, but effort that I'm engaged in because I love what I'm doing wrapped with play can be the most rewarding thing and actually rejuvenating thing. You know, I, um, I spent the last week with my son who um, used to live here. He's working in LA now, but we spent the whole week golfing. I put the phone away. I, you know, I, I ate bad food and drank beer and just had a good time with my son, right? And in the end, um, that would be considered out of my routine. I don't play golf seven days a week, but I did last week, right? And it was one of those things that reminded me that the only difference between great play and great work is if I'm doing great work, plays in it, and I get paid for it. That's it, right? So um, I think when people find the things that they can really engage in, they can trace a little path if they're a little curious. Like there's a board game called Clue, right? And it's all about finding the, 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 the murder mystery. Who did it? How'd they do it? Where'd they do it? Well, if we played the claim of, game of Clue, which Callum is another way leaders can use play, that game is universally known. And like 
instead of saying who's the bad guy, let's figure out how we reward employees by saying, wow, you did this, but what was at the scene of the crime per se? How'd you do it? What'd you do it with? Let's celebrate that kind of stuff. And so much time is spent reacting in work, but play is a proactive behavior. So it shifts things. So, Steve, I mean, it's all very fascinating and, and it's going to be interesting to see how companies take this up. Your book's called Play Saves the Day. So have you got any examples where play really has saved the day in, for a business? Yeah. Um, the, the one that comes to mind, um, and, and maybe others will come as, as we speak, but uh, here in Hawaii, a company I work with had four partners Three were active in the business day to day, and the fourth was a money backer. And I met the gentleman, I forget the exact specifics, but he was out sailing with me. We were on one of the local sailing yachts, and he just started, you know, bemoaning the nature of this uh, four person partnership. And so he asked me if I'd come by and just sit in on their weekly meeting. and. It was, um, it was guns a-blazing, man. These guys were shooting each other verbally left and right. And um, so I thought, I'm not sure that this would work, but this is where I became very passionate about puppeteering as one of many different tools. But I said to, I said to them, I said, look, I'll be here next week. I said, I want to check for a certain amount of money ready for me to cash if I'm successful. And I made it a big number, guys, because I almost wanted to discourage the meeting for fear <laughs> that they were past being changed. I said, but uh, if I do, if you do everything I say, we'll see what happens. So that became where I became passionate with the experiment process. And, and I'll tell you why. Because in the end, after that hour, they said, great, here's your check. So I got a great big four-figure check for one hour of my time. Um, and they used puppets to bring them be their best selves to the table. By the end, they were crying, laughing, had written like a $100,000 check for one of the partners to just leave. They figured out it was better for him not to be in the mix. And today they're the number two roofing company in Hawaii four years later, right? So that's, that's a real quick example. But here's the biggest way we change businesses. We help them to stop focusing now on the bottom line, which is always a number, red or black. And we ask them to begin focusing on the people who get them there. You know, um, people will always be part of the business process. You know, there, there's all this machine learning, AI, robots, you know. I, I tell people that we created all that. So, one way or the other, we have a moral obligation as leaders to enhance the well-being of the people who create the opportunities that we capitalize on and, and create profit through. And so the biggest part of how businesses have success in this arena is entirely up to their commitment to the experiment process with their people. The more they experiment, the more likely their people will be engaged. And let's just think about this fact. All three of us know, and I'm sure you've had many other leaders or, or podcast guests speak to this, that for decades, human engagement at work has been a huge challenge. 
When I first started hearing it, it was 60% of the workforce was disengaged or unengaged. Now it's 85 to 90%. Mm-hmm. What would actually happen if we flip those numbers on its head? You know, we're, we're in the, the stock market world. And the American stock market's had a 14-year bull market. That's ups, 14 straight years. That's double its longest period of time ever. And yet, in the midst of all that, <laughs> you know, employee disengagement and unengagement continues to go the wrong direction. I think if we can shift the paradigm, everyone can win. And that would be a great situation. And, and that's why we say play saves the day. But it starts with the mentality. And then, um, and, and, and you might even be ready to ask me this, Rebecca, but we don't have a specific formula other yeah. than creating experiments because the experiments will create observable outcomes that are different for every business culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I think probably one of the big challenges of all of this, Steve, tell me if I'm right or wrong, is encouraging leaders to see that this is a way forward because leadership can be a little bit, perhaps, they feel there's a specific way to be a leader. And you're now t- saying experiment, do something different, bring in play, and they may not feel at all comfortable with that. So how do you help leaders to experiment, open up their mind and feel comfortable with this as an, an approach to increase employee engagement? It's a great question. And I think um, you're making a point that um, I don't want to dodge. I just want to hit it head on. Um, our market is, is growing increasingly mm-hmm. as, as leadership shifts from baby boomers to millennials and skips over Gen X. Um, because the millennial understands the premise of play because it's an experience-based learning method. Um, so we're not chasing down and attempting to convince people. So people are going to listen to this podcast and they're going to think I'm crazy or they're going to get curious. It's only one or the other. There yeah. really is no middle on this. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, and we'll have a conversation with the curious because here's what happens. If I have to sit there and attempt to convince you, it means your ideology is so bound up in what you know, then you're not open to what you don't know. And oftentimes what stops leaders is not the unknown. It's the body of knowledge. I worked with a company here as soon as I got back eight months ago. I had a six-month contract. When it ended, I felt like I didn't want to renew it. And we agreed um, that we didn't want to renew it. And here's the biggest reason why. The leader of that company said, look, I'm 68 years old. I've had lots of public, uh, lots of uh, success in companies. And um, I don't meet too many people who know more than I do. So I'm going to do it my way. And, um, and people can help me execute my way or not. He's a leader. He's had success. He's made himself a lot of money. But... That's not my kind of leader. So the premise of your question, how do I convince? I can't. I engage with the curious because the curious will convince themselves because curiosity by its nature as a tool in leadership actually has some of the strongest, um, I'll call them uh, psychological and biological rewards. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter inside of us. And when we become curious, we engage dopamine's flow throughout the body. It excites us. 
So those leaders hearing the sound of my voice and the nature of this discussion right now who are curious, those are the ones who ought to just sit and watch kids in a park for a half hour. Why? Because you'll see perfect self-expression. You'll see unfettered engagement. You'll see total resilience when not first achieving what they want, right? You'll see this platform for how to be. And the truth is we can learn a lot from the kids and to turn, return to a childlike basis as far as having unlimited access with all of our adult-based skills really makes us our own superhero. It does indeed. And let's say we've got somebody listening to this who is a little bit curious about this, Steve, and we'll talk about how they can get in touch with you. But they're, sure. they're curious, they're sort of interested. Yeah, so well, um, uh, I think... The first thing they could do is they could just go to playsavestheday.com, right? Um, there's some testimonials there. There's an excerpt of the book there. There's a video there. They don't even have to buy it. Just, just go look at it. And if you like what you see, then download the book and read it. Um, and they can go to experimentwithplay.com. And experiment with play, there's a place to put your email in to have a contact set up and, 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 and a, you know, an initial meeting with me. Um, or one of my partners, we have um, presence in New York City, San Diego, and here in Hawaii. And um, I think it always starts with a conversation. And for us, that's really the coolest thing there is. Um, because when people are looking down the rabbit hole, like in Alice in Wonderland, and the Cheshire cat is over their shoulder saying, can you imagine? <laughs> this is the type of energy that will shift the workplace dynamic and will invite possibility where today there's just regimented process. Okay. And by relaxing that, we'll get further along. So they may not be quite ready to get your book just yet. They might want to say, okay, let me try this. You've already given us some ideas of what they could do, but it, is there one thing that you'd highly recommend that they do before they get in touch with you just to explore this a bit further or to actually go and put it into practice in the office tomorrow? Um, the answer to that is no. Um, okay. there, there isn't one thing um, because, um, and I want to be really clear in explaining that, I, I, I see what you're attempting to extract, which is some form of tip that they could just right out the gate use. And I'll give you that, but uh, I'll give you a tip. But my point in saying the answer is no is because that puts play in a container that's so limited. And what I mean by that is this. I could speak to this whole listening audience right now and say, hey, go grab a basketball and go back out to a basketball court and remember what it felt like to play. And if there were 100 people, what if only one of them liked basketball? Right behind me is my kitchen. Somebody may grab a pot, a pan, and a whole bunch of food they've never used before and whip something up, and that's play, right? Like, what we're attempting to do is suggest that we have so narrowly marginalized what play is, and yet play is at our fingertips, our, our eye gate, everywhere we look, there's some new way to play. So if you want the one tip I'd give everyone, I'd say this, it makes it sound a little fatalistic, but it's, it's to get them thinking differently. If I had a gun pointed to your head and I said, 
play or die. What's the one way you'd play right now? That'd be the tip I'd give people because when I, when I say that, they're like, wow, that sounds like really aggressive. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get you out of your pattern yeah. because we're so patterned. We forgot that play is everything. So yeah, it's not one tip um, works for everyone, but what does work for anyone is just to experiment until they find that energy that feels timeless, that feels highly imaginative, emotionally safe, fully present, and connected with others. That's what play is. It's just that moment. Uh, think about a playground. Kids are all those five things I just said. And in work, at the end of the day, when people are like, man, where'd the day go? What a great day. That's people who are energized in their work world in such a way that they're zipping through it because it's playful. So I, I know that I, I don't want to sound like a politician dodging your answer, <laughs> but there is yeah, no one tip I can it. give you. <laughs> you did answer it. So okay. No, I was going to say, I think that's a nice way of putting it because I think the, what, those five things you summarized just then, it kind of gives you like a, a, an idea of like what people should aim for when they're doing this. And yeah. this is going to come on to my question, Steve, because it's something I've been wondering. Let's say a company takes on this uh, kind of like approach to play where they incorporate more into their teams, their daily life, their routine, and their kind of their culture as a business. Is it something that, the, like, as an individual employee, you should be looking to do kind of like continuously throughout your day? It's like a totally different approach to your activities. <laughs> or is it something you kind of like reward yourself with, say, like a five or 10 minute break, like every hour or two? How, how does it work in that sense? The answer is both. Um, uh, just last week, I did a virtual workshop for a company um, in the south of England. I think, is it called Born Bournemouth? Bournemouth. Yep. Bournemouth. Yeah. Did yeah. a, did a, uh, a workshop for a, company there, um, a virtual workshop. And we did several different exercises, um, Callum, that were really useful for them. Um, they had recently lost their CEO and founding, founder of the company to stomach cancer. It was a really sad thing. And um, they decided to rise up and can continue the mission of this, of this company. So six, all millennials, amazing young people. And the two uh, exercises I'm thinking of specifically that would treat your question. One, we talked to them about the power of totems. You know what a totem is? It's uh, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, um, and in the simplest sense, it's just a physical representation of something else. Like in many respects, the American flag is a totem, right? The cross is a totem, right? physical represent representations of values, beliefs, ideas that people have. Um, uh, right over here in my little um, side office, I have a, a whole bunch of totems and they're all toys. I mean, I'm looking at minions, slinkies, um, uh, uh, like Hawaiian lays. I've got a Pirates of the Caribbean old lunchbox, Play-Doh, right? Dr. Seuss. These are all totems. So one thing the worker can do is surround their workspace with totems that basically jam thought. So each of my totems reminds me of something very specific. And so by creating anchored positivity in physical representations, it's a form of play. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I think it's nice and crazy. Yeah, then the other side of it is they can do some collective work by first doing individual work. We, we gave them 15 minutes in this workshop to do a once upon a time for the next five years of their business. And each one of them had to create a, 
childlike story where each of them were characters in the story, that there was a storyline of an antagonist and a protagonist, and that in the end, somebody wins and them being the one winning. And it was fascinating that these six people all wrote different stories, some futuristic, some past, some in just present nomenclature, but every one of them had the same ideas as to how their company would win over the next one to five years. And I meet with them again next week and guess what the, the meeting's all about? Turning their stories into their strategic plan. Yeah, that's nice. It's one that they all collectively witnessed with each other having individually used their imagination. Now, that doesn't always work that way because, again, no two experiments create the same two results. But the premise of our work is getting people paying attention to the results of experiments. Right now, people go to work and they do what they're told and they leave if they even do what they're told, right? By engaging them in a process that says, let's play, pun intended, with how we do what we do here. Then that mental pliability infused within the workers, if it opens their curiosity, it increases their engagement. If the boss just said to me, this is what you do from nine to five, but take next week, one day, and switch it up, and then report back to me on how it works. What do you think that would do for a worker, right? Now, they may be so dead and numb that like, I don't know. Well, then you got the wrong worker. <laughs> but if they're like, okay, let me think about that. Now you've got someone really taking an ownership spirit and feeling a sense of like, wow, they trust me with that? Like it, it changes the whole dynamic. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, for sure. So Steve, as we, we come to wrap up, and it's been fantastic to have you on and reshare, well, really embellish the stories and the play side of, of what you're doing now, which is fantastic to hear. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes. Um, I believe, like, firmly um, that right now the world needs play at every dimension. Um, I, I, I avoid turning on the television unless it's for some direct purpose of information receiving or pure entertainment because, you know, almost everywhere you look, there's the delivery of information that saddens us, angers us, divides us. And I'm also aware that for everyone who has enough consciousness to filter how they're taking information, there are millions who have no consciousness and are just sucked into it. So the big thing I would say to leaders has nothing to do with your business. It has everything to do with your personage, like who you are. Are you bringing an energy to everywhere you go and everything you do that invites people to be present, that invites people to feel safe emotionally. Like when Billy down in, in the second floor gets a call to come up to your office in the elevator, are his knees knocking or is he excited, right? Yeah. Like when, when, when Sally, um, you know, who's at the checkout stand and, and you're late for, for your morning meeting, 
are you going to give her that energy of pushy? I'm the boss. Where's my coffee? Or are you going to say, thank you and own your own time management snafu for being late to your meeting, right? Like, like play shifts consciousness. And anyone listening to this who says, I don't have time to play. Um, my feedback to you is you clearly didn't listen today because play is source. Play is where all my unlimited energy is. It's where all my emotional safety is. It's where all my perfect self-expression is. Play by its nature has no malintent, no manipulative energy. Mm, let me play so I can kind of work one over on Susie and Billy in recess and get their lunch money, right? I mean, no, it doesn't, it's not like that. <laughs> play is purely innocent. And so there's so many byproducts to being playful, full of play. And it shows up in so many ways. So I'd say uh, my big invitation is pay attention to where is play showing up in your day. And if you can't find it, then um, go read the book, please. It'll make a difference. And, uh, and, and within the book, I might add, there's a whole bunch of experiments that lead them to other possibilities, even outside of working with us. And, and that's my big invite to everyone. I may, may never meet you. You only hear the sound of my voice, but man, go prove to yourself that play will save your day. And when it saves yours, then it might be able to save others. Well, on that note, Steve, thank, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. And, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast again and, and chatting with you and hearing everything you've been up to and, and sharing that with our, our listeners. So, yeah, just a big thank you for me and uh, awesome to chat with you again. So Great to be with both of you. <laughs> you're off to play, Steve, I assume now. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the answer is yes. I have three appointments in a row and they're all uniquely different. And for me, um, like the first one, it's, it's going to be a masterful conflict resolution opportunity. The next one's going to be a great story time. So yeah, the, the truth is my day is full of playful exercises in a very engaged working environment. It's going to be a great day. Well, we wish you all the best of that. And again, thank you very much for joining us. Brilliant. Thank you. Be well, guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rgen.co.uk website.